0: Father, we praise you. We thank you for just the, the ways that you're constantly at work. I think that your, your kingdom, uh, just the love that your kingdom is just constantly advancing that you are moving, that you are working in people's lives, that you're calling people closer to your son, Jesus. I thank you for this place uh, called Compassion Heart. I thank you for this place that, that we are in right now. I thank you for how you have moved in, in uh, Craig and, and Donna Bunts and in their hearts and in leading them. And, and just the amazing story, the amazing testimony that this wasn't the, the path that they had set for their life, but this was the path that you had set for their life. And uh, you have given them the strength to be faithful, to, to step along, uh, every step along the way, uh, just to follow you. And so I thank you for this, uh, this really this uh, beacon of light uh, that uh, compassionate Heart is in the community. And uh, all of the ministry, all the things that, uh, that happen in this place, we give you praise for. We thank you for uh, those who come, those who find a place of belonging here. Uh, God, we thank you. Uh, just uh, you're just, just it's, a, it's an amazing picture of your kingdom at work. And so we pray for compassion heart. We pray that you would continue to provide, that you'd continue to lead and direct. And uh, uh, thank you just for the skills that Donna brings to this place and for the awesome youth pastor that she is uh, to so many that come through these doors. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is so true. Um, like if you, if in the middle of the week, if you're kind of having a bummer of a day, this probably isn't even legal, but like if you come in this place, you will be greeted by so much warmth and encouragement and life. It just has to bring a smile to your face. So the participants here, uh, they really are, uh, and their, their gifts are a gift to our community in so many different ways. Um, and uh, yeah, so thank you for letting us use this place. Thank you for the, the impact that you're having in this community. Um, also, I want to say thank you. Uh, last week, uh, Marta Stanley and Jen Gruppen, uh, Todd, and I did a phenomenal job. Can we give them a round of applause and just say thanks? Powerful, powerful teaching. So thank you for for sharing that. Um, and it was great to to be down in, in Florida and relaxing. And somebody asked me like, Are you worried? Are you nervous? And I'm like, Absolutely not. You know, this group has it. This and this is what uh, it, we want this to be. Is like everybody's pitching in, playing their part, and. Uh, Marta and Jen did an awesome job teaching, and Zach uh, led leading worship, and so it's just everybody uh, pitching in and, and doing their thing. Um, this morning, I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 5, and so if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. I want to look at just a couple verses in Hebrews chapter 5, but then also hop over to uh, Numbers chapter 14. Uh, Numbers is in the Old Testament, and we're going to really just share a story of a person that we see in Scripture. Um, and so we're going to start first with Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to ask a question and then we're going to hop into Numbers chapter 14. So the writer of Hebrews uh, in uh, chapter 5 verse 11 starts off this way. And before I get there, uh, we've been uh, reading through the book of Hebrews and we're on like the fifth week and if you want to join in the, a reading plan, uh, there is a plan available back by the coffee. Um, you can put that in the Bible and just start uh, with week five this week. And it's just been great to hop into Hebrews and read through it uh, about a, a chapter a week, uh, maybe a little bit more than a chapter a week, but there's also readings back to the Old Testament. So we'll start at verse 11 of chapter five. It says this, as, about this, we have much to say. And he's referencing the gospel and Jesus and talking about who Jesus is as the, the great high priest. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits reading that this week, and the whole phrase of moving on, going on to maturity, or solid food is for the mature, and I started to think about, like, what is maturity? What does it mean to be mature? Is, is maturity uh, based on, on age? I uh, turned 46 this week. Is it based on, on age? Like, do you get to a certain a spot, and you're all of a sudden mature? Is maturity based on a season of life, becoming a, a grandfather, is maturity based on the color of your hair, like getting more gray? Which you know, seeing some gray hairs uh, out here. What is? Does it mean to be mature? And and uh, I got a text on my birthday, and someone said, you know, I look forward to this upcoming year of increased maturity. Um, and it was referencing something that happened back in October. And uh, you know what? Well, I'll, I'll preface it this way: we We're in uh, Tennessee and uh, in Tennessee there's uh, bears and I wanted to see a bear and so myself and some other people we started to kind of bait a bear and try to you know get the bear to come get the bear to appear by our our uh, cabin someone said it's just me but I know somebody else threw uh, something sweet popcorn over the side of the, the railing and well let's just say this is what happened when bears did finally appear There's audio. You want the audio. So you heard it was quiet there. Nobody was on the swing. Well, that's what they thought. I was on the swing, or by the swing, pushing the swing, and kind of poking the bear, and looking back at that, and seeing the bear lunge, I'm thinking, okay, that is probably not the most mature moment in my life. So maturity, like, I I sometimes ask this question, I'm like, what is mature? Is it something that we do? And I'm like, okay, that wasn't the most mature thing, so maybe I'm not mature. Or, you know, there's other things, my my kids this week showed me a picture of uh, something that I sent them on Snapchat, and it was this, and I'm like, okay, probably not the most mature, you probably can't read it, but I shot this to Mallory and it said, I'm going to rock today like a teenage girl rocks a mirror selfie. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was thinking about maturity and then seeing those, that video and that picture and I'm like, okay, what does it mean to be mature? Is it something we do? Is it something we think? Is it, uh, what does it mean to be mature? Because the, the writer of Hebrews is calling on the people who had given their life to Jesus to be mature. To, to move on to maturity. And so yeah, I want to hop back to uh, Numbers 13. And so if you want to flip over there, Numbers 13, and we're going to spend a, a lot of time just going through this story at Numbers 13 and into 14, because I want to focus on one person that I believe demonstrated maturity, that really was a, a picture of maturity and something that we can actually apply to our lives when it comes to maturity. And as we get into this story in Numbers uh, 13, they're, um, the the people of God were have left Egypt. They were rescued by God. And they're on the brink of entering into the promised land. The land for, for many generations God had promised, saying uh, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, I'm going to bring you into this land. I'm going to give you this, this property. And um, this is now really the, the pinnacle moment. They're about to go into the land. And Moses said, okay, take one person from every tribe. One person from every tribe, and you're going to go spy out this land. I want to know, you know, are are the cities big? Are they fortified? Are the people big or small? Are they rich or poor? I want you to to search out the land to see if the land has good fruit, if there's a Chick-fil-A in the land. Um, I want you to just to check out this area to see if it is good. And then when you go into the land, when you go into the land, grab some fruit and bring it back, bring back the report. And then in Numbers 13 this is what uh, the spies, upon returning from the land, this is what they said in verse 25 of Numbers 13. They came back, and it says this, At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paranet kadesh They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told And they told him... We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So they come back with this report, and they say, "This is what we saw." You know, there's, there's fruit. The people, though, are, are big. They're strong. Uh, they, they reference the descendants, descendants of Anak, which were uh, like tall people, strong warrior type of people, and they say, this is what we see. And then a man by the name of Caleb pops up, and he says this, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Just a short little description, a short little saying, let's grow up. He doesn't focus on the problems. He doesn't focus too much on on what's going on in the land. He says, no, we can occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. But the people had a different response. Verse 31 says, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel, a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are a great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. It's an interesting back and forth because there's two reports. One group comes back. Caleb says, yeah, we can definitely take this land. But then there's the 10 spies who are saying, there's absolutely no way we can take this land. The people are huge there. And they go from, from accurately reporting what was in the land to really exaggerating what was in the land. Because all of a sudden they say the descendants of Anak are there. And then they turn it into this conversation about the Nephilim, which goes back to Genesis 6, 4, where there's this crazy verse, and I don't understand it. There's this crazy verse in Genesis 6-4, look it up sometime, where it says the sons of God had children with the daughters of men and they became giants. And so really they pull on that back from Genesis 6-4, and if you have an answer for me on that verse, then hey, you know, let me know. But there's that, they pull on that verse from Genesis 6-4, and they say, these people in this land, there's no way that we can overcome And they exaggerate the story and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And the question that they were faced with at that moment, as 10 spies have this report, as the two spies come back and have a different report, who were they going to follow? Who were they going to obey? Were they frankly going to obey the the voice of men or were they going to obey the voice of God? Were they going to listen to those who went into the land and picked a couple grapes but then saw the people and were, were freaked out? Or were they going to listen to the one who had delivered them from slavery, who had led them through the desert a pillar of fire at night and cloud by day, the one who parted the Red Sea? Who are they going to listen to? Who are they going to believe? Who are they going to put their faith in? And I think about their decision on that day. Frankly, it's a decision that we have every single day. Who are we going to obey? Are we going to obey uh, the voice of man or are we going to obey the voice of God? Are we going to be focused on the the problems in our life and, and the things that are very, very real and the challenges that we face? Or are we going to take comfort and stand on the promises of God and listen to his word and say, this is who I am and this is what he has called us to? The story continues. Numbers 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And I want you to use your imagination. I mean, this is a large crowd of people crying out, weeping, frustrated, disappointed. It says, and they all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, "Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey." Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And think about the significance of that statement. They've been rescued from slavery for so many years. They were crying out to the Lord for someone to rescue them because the work was so difficult. They had seen their enemies fall. And here they were because they were a little nervous about the people that were in the land. They're crying out. They want to go back. And doubt fills their soul. And it says this Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthnunah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spied out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into his land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk. And honey, only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread to us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all of the people of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me, in spite of all these signs that I have done among them? I will strike them down. With pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. There's so much there, but there is Caleb and Joshua in the midst of that, saying, No, God will bring us into this land, He will give it to us. These people, we're not like grasshoppers, no, they're like bread to us. We will consume them, we will, we will devour them because the Lord is with us, their protection is gone. And in that moment there's faith that arose in Caleb and in Joshua. And the story goes on, and and, and Moses, you hear, like, at the end, God is ready to disinherit his people. Like, I'm done with them. And he says to Moses, I'm going to make you a great nation. But an interesting uh, situation happens just in the next section, where Moses talks face to face with God, and backs him kind of off the edge of the cliff, and says, no, 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 if you don't do this, if you don't bring your people into the land then the people are going to look at you and say, what kind of God are you that you couldn't bring the people into this land? And so he really changes God's mind. God backs down and he says, okay, I'm not going to destroy the people, but there will be judgment. They will wander in the desert for 40 years. And no one over 20 years old will enter the land. But then there's a description that I really want to focus in on Caleb in verse 24 of Numbers 14. This is what God says about Caleb. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Every time I've read that, I've underlined that verse. Here was Caleb, and what was he known for? He was known for being someone with a different spirit. We don't like to be different. We don't like to stand out in the crowd. But here was Caleb, who is known to have a different spirit, and I just would love for all of us to be different, for all of us to stand out, to say, you know what? We're hanging on the promises of God, and Caleb was hanging on that and saying, you know what? I'm going to have a different spirit, and he followed him wholeheartedly. At the age of 40, here was Caleb going different from the crowd, standing out from the crowd, building his life on the promises of God. One more verse, and then we'll talk about what all this means. Flip over to Joshua chapter 14, to the right, a couple books. Because you think, oh, this is nice and good that uh, Caleb did this at the age of 40. But I want to fast forward 40 years, 45 years, and I want to see what is going on in Caleb's life now that they've entered the promised land. Who is he? What, What type of person is he? Joshua 14, verse six. It says, the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of those guys, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word against again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of my people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said for these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness... And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming out. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord had said. 85 years old. 85. Barry, how old are you? I'm 64. Okay, not close. But anybody older than 64? I want to admit it. You're not older than 64. Really, Tom? How old are you? Oh, 65. <laughs> <laughs> that was nothing against you, Barry, but I'm like, you know, you're not older than anyway. Um, here was Caleb, 85 years young. And I can't help but read that story and hear like Caleb rising up with strength at 85 and being like so um, so passionate and so filled with strength and his strength, what, I, what hits me is his strength wasn't necessarily in his physical strength. He said, "I am just as strong at 40 years old that I, that I, at 85 that I was at 40. And where did his strength come from? His strength wasn't in his own human ability. His strength was in the Lord. He knew that when he was going to go into the land, the battle didn't belong to him. The battle belonged to the Lord. And so here was, was Caleb at 85, at 40, someone with a different spirit, someone who is following the Lord wholeheartedly, fully in every aspect of his life. And I read this and I look at all of us here this morning and I'm like, I want us to be a people like Caleb. Caleb. I want to be known like Caleb was known, to being someone who is different, someone who is following the Lord wholeheartedly, somebody who is standing on the promises of God and knowing the truth against all of the lies that are out there, to be a community of people that are looked upon as different and saying, no, there's something peculiar about those people. They trust the Lord. No no matter what the world throws at them, no matter what obstacle you see, they're trusting the Lord with their life. And I look at that, and I look at that in light of Hebrews chapter 5, move on to maturity. Move on to maturity. And I look at, at, at Caleb's life, and I'm like, that is a picture of maturity. Because maturity is all about being unwavering in your faith in Jesus, in God. Here Caleb was, no, no, no obstacle was too big for him because of the bigness of God and the faith that he had in God. And I think maturity, so often we um, can be tossed around to the left or to the right, and maturity is being unwavering in who God is, in what he's done for us in Jesus, and the very spirit that he has given us to lead and guide us. Look at Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 11. And I think this really summarizes what maturity looks like. Ephesians 4, chapter 11. Paul is writing and he says this, he says, He, Jesus, gave the apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. He said, may that you attain unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that you may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. This is maturity. It doesn't depend on age. It doesn't depend on achievements. It doesn't depend on accomplishments. It's having this, this, this steady faith, not being tossed to and fro, an unwavering faith, not being tossed to and fro by every new idea that is thrown our way or any situation that, that, that we come across. Maturity is an unwavering confidence in Jesus no matter what happens. And that's what we see with Caleb. That's frankly what we see with David when he faced Goliath. He saw the obstacle right in front of him, and he's like, you know what? I know it's a huge obstacle, but my faith is in God who can overcome this giant in front of me. There was mature faith in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were pressured to bow down to the idol. And they said, absolutely not. We are not bowing down. Our faith is in God, and even if we die, we are not going to bow down to this idol. And so mature faith is all about being unwavering, unwavering in the truth and unwavering in the truth of what we find in Scripture. And this is why like, I love the teaching from last week. This is why we have to anchor ourselves regularly in Scripture, knowing the truth, because truth is being assaulted in our culture today. There are so many new ideas that are coming across our, our path, all in the, uh, the description of progress in life. And, and new ideas and saying, oh, we're, we're identifying new different new things. And, and even in regards to sexuality and, and marriage and all of that, it's like, oh, this is a new way. And I'm like, no, this is, and we think, like, well, it's progress. And the problem is we're only seeing in the short term, and we don't see the long-term implications. And we're moving away from the truth that we find in Scripture. And as a people of God, we have to be unwavering in the truth of what God says about every aspect of our life. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for the mature, for those who have the power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And how do you distinguish good from evil? You anchor yourself in the truth. As evil comes into your mind, as evil thoughts come into your mind, you distinguish like, that's evil. I'm going to reject that, and I'm going to firmly plant my life on the truth, on what is good. When you go through your life and you come across evil, the mature person says, No, this is not of the kingdom of God, and so I'm going to move away from it. When we hear people say things about other people, the mature person says, You know what? That's gossip. I'm not going to engage in that. I'm going to move away from that and anchor my, truth, my, my life in the truth of God's word and, and not engage in that type of behavior. We have to be unwavering with our lives in the truth of God's word. And so that's why I want to encourage you, spend time in God's word and not just to to let it feed your mind and be like, okay, that's a nice intellectual thought, but mainly let it feed your soul and penetrate your heart and say, God, what do you want to say to me today? This is powerful. It can change our lives. It can can penetrate, it can grow us, it can mature us. A mature person is unwavering in the truth is also unwavering in its trust, his or her trust of God. I think back to the story of of Caleb. The problem with the Israelites there was their trust was in their own ability. And so they looked at the giants of the land and they looked at the problems that were in front of them. And they said, there's no way that we can do it. And you know what? There was no way that they could do it. But the mature person looks at the problems and says, you know what? I'm going to hold on to the promises of God and recognize that the battle doesn't belong to me. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it, but I trust that he will do it, and so I'm going to be unwavering in my trust of God. An immature person wavers in their trust of God and tries to make something happen on their own. A mature person is unwavering in their trust of who God is. And then lastly, we have to be unwavering in our focus, our focus on eternity. Philippians 3, Paul says this. He says, I I don't look in the back. I don't look, look behind me. I look forward, I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And then he says this, let the mature person think this way. And so as we go throughout our day, as we go throughout our week, may we be be so focused on Jesus, so focused on on him and who he is and what he's done for our lives, and look for opportunities to, to see his kingdom come into our lives, into the people that we meet. And that's what it looks like to be a mature person. And it says in Hebrews 5 and 6, move on from maturity. And you think, like, move on from to maturity, move on past those elementary uh, teachings of Christ. And I've always been like, oh, that is such a weird statement. But I think what it means is, is not move on for them, but actually live into them. Live them out. Stop questioning, stop wanting to go back to a way of, of religion and, and proving that you're righteous by what you do. And stand firmly on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And live it out and teach others to do the same. And look for opportunities to share the gospel. That's what a mature person does. They have their, their faith that is unwavering. They're unwavering in the truth of God's word, unwavering trust in Jesus, and an unwavering focus on eternity. So what I want to do is that after I pray, we're going to, engage, we're going to take communion this morning. The elements are over on my right, your left. And what we're going to do is dismiss row by row. And I'm going to ask Hannah and Jesse to come up and, and lead us in worship. But dismiss row by row. There's You can form two lines on both sides of the, the table. And take the elements, take the bread, take the juice, bring it back to your seat, and then we will all take uh, at the same time. So let me pray, and then we can start uh, to get communion. God, thank you. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for uh, the fact that, that you are always faithful, that you are always good. And I do pray over us as a community of people that we would be known to be like Caleb, that, that we would have a different spirit, that we would follow you wholeheartedly, that we would not look to compromise in any area of our lives, but that you, Jesus, would fill us to overflowing with your spirit, that we would, we would follow you wholeheartedly no matter what gets thrown in our way, that we will hold on to trust in you, that we will be unwavering in the truth, that we will look to you, Jesus. And so I pray that over us, as just as a, a community of people, that we would just be mature, that we would be unwavering, that we would have a hope that is firmly fixed on you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for pouring out your blood for us. Thank you that we can stand firmly on that promise, on that truth, on that gift of grace. Thank you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so now as we remember your body that was given for us, your blood that was poured out for us, may it fill us in such a way we are just overwhelmed with joy for all that we have received in you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.